listening to Ouija Broads. This is Devin. This is Liz. Liz, I have the thrilling conclusion, the long-awaited ending to The Golden Spruce for you today. It's kind of the new Raleigh Faulkner in terms of cursedness, because this is the second time we've tried to record uh-huh. the replacement audio, uh-huh. <laughs> because the first time your notes were gone, yep. and then after I lost the audio of the first, I don't know what's going on with oh, this. That's a hard one. Some some people cry out, like, tell my story. Tell my story, <laughs> people of the future, and some people are just like, stop snitching, motherfuckers. Quit it. And I think we found one of those. I think we did. Yeah, Grant had one. I mean, it's he's a man who wants to, f- for all of the evidence we have, says he is a man who wants to get lost and stay lost. So perhaps this is him cosmically affecting our audio. <laughs> Yeah, we'll try to be we'll try to be concise, Grant. Right, <laughs> the best I can offer you. It's nine thirty. Sympathetic, at concise, night. and sympathetic. <laughs> yep. The last time we talked about Grant, many, 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 many months ago, I think it was back in March. What we left off on was a biographic and ethnographic history of the Pacific Northwest, and we were specifically focusing on British Columbia and even more specifically on an island off of BC called Haida Gwaii, which is the ancestral home of the Haida people. And we're using for these episodes the book The Golden Spruce by John Valent as my primary source. I used a lot of other primary sources, but it was John's story that really got me hooked on this whole narrative. The story, of course, is that of The Golden Spruce, also known as Kid Kios, and The Elder Spruce, which is a Sitka spruce tree that had this beautiful golden color to it as opposed to the normal green of a spruce and its importance to the Haida people and what happened to it in an act of eco-terrorism in the 1990s. Correct, because it was one of a kind, spiritually and in tourism terms, very important. Yes, correct. And then... And then. And then. Enter Grant Hadwin. (laughs) Exactly. The great and then is the focus of this episode. We're talking about a tree. We're talking about the Pacific Northwest. Of course, we're talking about logging for at least part of this story. You know it. You know it. The tree in question, the golden spruce, was probably seeded about the year 1700. Wild to think back that far. We know that white explorers had been in the area even as early as the 1600s, and that was probably the Russians who were hunting sea otters. We know they were up in Alaska and then traveled down the coast further and further south. Likely the first white folks that were down in the area. But then, of course, with the mass movement west by white settlers in the 1800s through the 1850s. Folks come out here to log, my friend. When the settlers started coming out to the west coast, our trees were unlike anything they had seen before. White people had been on the east coast for, what, 200 years by the time the westward expansion started really picking up. And so all of the trees that white folks on the East Coast were used to seeing 
were second growth and third growth forests. Mm. They were they were small, they were spindly, they were far apart. They come out to the Pacific Northwest, and dude, we are primordial out here mm-hmm. when it comes to trees. I cannot stress enough how much I want everyone to go see the Ho Rainforest at least once in their life. It's wild. It feels like stepping back in time. The the way some of these trees feel is so old. It's so cool. But the settlers hated them. There, there's, there's. They made them uncomfortable. They made them so uncomfortable. There's diary account after diary account of settlers saying these trees are wild. They are wicked. They are sinful. They are to be feared. Sinful tree. I love that back on the East Coast, Edgar Allan Poe is like inventing the detective novel and possibly modern horror and out here pacific northwest gothic is apparently that tree is too big (laughs) it's so menacing don't care for it (laughs) i don't like it don't like that thing no sir (laughs) (laughs) it's too big it's wrong with a tree it's too big it's too big i mean the trees out here were so big people didn't know how to cut them down (laughs) <laughs> like they, they li- I mean, for real though, like you can't just keep putting a, a saw in it. No. Eventually, your whole arm your is whole in arm the elbow. What you gonna do then? It ate your arm. <laughs> they literally had not invented saws big enough. People had to come up with ways of using wedges and cutting things called windows and engineering how you were going to get this gargantuan tree cut enough that it fell over and fell in the direction you wanted it to go. Yeah. Oh, my. You must have been taking your life in your hands doing that. Even if you had done everything right, the crash of something like that would have been louder than anything you had heard in your whole life. Yeah. And then you're standing there like, well, now what? Well, now what indeed? Didn't think we'd get this far. (laughs) I just, how do I... (laughs) My eyes were bigger than my stomach. I tell you what. <laughs> it, it took loggers until 1852 before they were able to fell the first giant sequoia in California. I'm impressed, but also pissed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. We should, we should have taken the hint. We should have taken the hint. We should have let the trees win. I mean, my goodness. But once people found out they could cut down the trees, they did not. Stop. In 1993, a study by the Forest Service showed that less than 20% of old growth forest was remaining in Washington, Oregon, and California. So, That's so little Bigfoot habitat. Uh, so little Bigfoot habitat. He's having to grow up in these managed, farmed, awful, homogenous tree lots. I hate it. I feel so bad for Bigfoot. But What that means is that there are fewer than 10 million acres of old-growth forest in the Pacific Northwest. Mm. It's so small. One of the stories that I did come across, which is awful, it's a a weird way to die. So when, when the loggers would fell these giant trees, right, a lot of the time the root ball comes up with them. Mm-hmm. And many of these trees, they don't have a deep tap root. Instead, they're pretty shallow and their roots just spread out. So you'll knock down this tree, up comes the root ball, and it's 
20 feet across, 30 feet across. Enormous. The more I picture it, the more I'm starting to relate to the settlers who were upset about the tree that was too big. (laughs) (laughs) It would have looked like Cthulhu coming out of the ground, these these many tentacled primordial trees. So once you cut the trunk off, right, and then they take the tree away, now you're just left with the tiny little stump and then its big old root tentacle face like Davy Jones in the Johnny Depp movies (laughs) sitting there in the forest. And what would happen is loggers would sometimes sit up against these root balls, having their lunch, you know, whatever, hanging out, taking a break in the shade. And gravity does what gravity does, which is pull things down. And sometimes it would pull those root balls down into where they were when the tree was standing up. And it didn't matter if there were some little Nordic dudes having lunch out of their tin can underneath them or not. And yet we still didn't take the hint. We still didn't take the hint. We kept coming. What is this? Like Prometheus? Is this aliens? No, stay in your own lane, guys. (laughs) Didn't happen. Kept logging. For his book, Valent interviewed a lot of the area's loggers who were working in the 40s and 50s. Those loggers were saying in the 40s and 50s, it felt like they were ants lost at sea. They they had nothing but trees. There was no way you were ever going to exhaust this supply. But by 1960, these same loggers who had felt like, wow, we will never get all of this. There is no way. They had become disgusted by the massive devastation and clear cuts that they were seeing and that they mm. were a part of. It didn't take us that long to exhaust what had once felt inexhaustible. <sighs> that's, mm, it's yeah. A, yeah, that's, this is not a happy story. <laughs> Today, of course, there are people here who are the many-generation descendants of loggers and logging families. We've talked about the Warehouser family, uh, you know, logging (laughs) giants with a grandpa, a dad, and then a, a son that grew up in the business. You've got families like that here today where it was grandpa, dad, son, grew up as loggers. Grant Hadwin was born into one such logging family in 1949 on Vancouver Island. Grant dropped out of school at age 16 to begin logging himself. And everyone Mm. who saw Grant in the woods said this is where he was meant to be. He was really strong. He was a natural athlete. He moved silently through the woods. He was never cold. They barely ever saw him with a coat. Maybe a flannel, a wool sweater. He liked walking around barefoot. Yeah, it's part Bigfoot is what I'm I think Grant could be a little bit Sasquatch. Not going to put it past him. Because folks said that he would often walk off the job site or on his weekends um, with, you know, a pocket knife and his flannel. And then he'd come back two days later with a deer he had, he had killed and field-dressed. And be like, what's up? Who wants venison? I don't know what to make of that. 
I feel like it's impressive from this distance, and I would find it very menacing at a closer distance. <laughs> I think so, too. I think it depends like, what are you on trying the to delivery. Prove, right? Yeah, right? Right? Are you trying to establish here? Seems to be a human who was just much more at home in the company of nature than he was his fellow man. Yeah. Despite having what everybody says was a real reverence for the forest, he was making his money logging. Mm -hmm. He was good at it. He saw things as a timber scout and as a layout engineer. He saw things that other loggers didn't see, according to past employers. It's apparently very difficult to map out a road that goes up a hill in such a way that maximizes the logs you're going to get out of there, makes it so that the trucks can come up and down safely, and keeps the mountainside from eroding at least as long as you are going to log it. I don't even like mowing on an angle. (laughs) Do you, every spring, when you wear dresses, do you look down at your shins and think about the dino damage incurred from mowing our lawn at that house on Hogan. <laughs> oh, that terrible little, yeah. Had to have been a 60 degree angle slope there that we were trying to mow, and you could either brace it sideways on this hill or you could do this evil Knievel death plunge where it was like you were dropping into a skate park, but with a lawnmower, and you were poised at the top of the hill, and you were going to let it run down, and you were going to try to run after it without... And you keep saying you. This was a, this was a thing you did. <laughs> Not me. In flip-flops. In flipped flops. Not even in, like, a shoe with some tread that was attached to your foot by anything more than a I didn't, I didn't... And you were like, I'm going to stand on this grass in this slippery shoe, this lawnmower. I, dude, I didn't want to get my nice sneakers, like, covered in grass stains. This, oh, I guess what's going to happen when your legs are covered in blood? <laughs> I still got both my feet. I'm fine. I'm fine. I think we just eventually stopped mowing. I think we stopped caring. Yeah, I think I we think did. It was that the, the landlord tenant spiral. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nobody anyway. cared. Nobody cared. Grant. Grant was ahead of his time, though. He was a logger, yes, but he was an environmental activist. He was really into the idea of managing forests. He wanted to prevent erosion. He was evangelical with his fellow loggers talking about how important it was to, yeah, fine, logging is an industry, but the earth is important. It is sacred. We have to do this in a way that is ethical and sustainable. He was doing okay for himself for a minute. In 1978, he married a woman named Margaret. He quit drinking. He quit smoking. He built Margaret and his three kids a house in British Columbia. He built it from timber he himself cut down and had, for all intents and purposes, a really good 10 years. 1987 arrives, 
And this is the part of the story that I want to speak carefully of because I feel like we have a Chris McCandless situation where Grant undergoes what's called a spiritual emergency. He felt a call from God. And God was telling Grant that he didn't like what we were doing, we as humans were doing to the forests, and that we needed to change. So I want to be careful in talking about Grant's actions because I want to acknowledge the fact that I think from this point on he is mentally ill and Mm. uh, he's not getting treated for it. He, at various stages from 1987 until the story ends here for us, he's evaluated in psychiatric hospitals, he's given antipsychotics, but he's got no consistent care and no formal diagnosis that really helps him or anyone else in his life. Antipsychotics in the 80s were rough. Were too. they? Yeah, oh. that was like Thorazine, Haldol. Okay. It was r- lithium. Lithium, it was yeah. Like really seriously sedating stuff and side effects. It's That's pretty rough. Yeah, I mean, I, I sense the line that you're trying to walk here, and I think there's a philosophical conversation to be had about what the line is where we say this is so maladaptive that this is illness versus mm-hmm. this is, I don't even want to use the phrase, a genuine spiritual experience. Yeah. I think his experience was genuine whether or not he had a you know comorbid condition. Yes. But we also contextualizes decision making differently when he's in a different state of mind than he was up to this point in his life yeah and it sounds like regardless of the source grant was in a very different state of mind yes very altered altered state very altered state hard to i've always find it hard to judge people who do extreme stuff in service of causes that i value Mm mm-hmm you know, because mm-hmm. at a certain point, you go, I think it's weirder that I'm not with you. I think right. it's weirder that I'm not chained to this thing. Yes. And I just went to Panera Bread. Yes. And acted like this horrible thing isn't even happening. Because yes. Because I'm numb to it. You've got the right idea. What am I doing? Yes. But also, we all are getting by the best way that we know how. Yeah. It's, it's impossible, I think, to separate things out into neat containers Mm -hmm. but were i margaret or somebody in grant's life i would have been concerned about him at this point yes i would have been like you're right but you're taking it in a direction that's not going to serve you yes yes i think this direction really clearly didn't serve grant in the modern society in which he had to live. Because this spiritual emergency, this awakening, this call from God, this new state of needing to be meant that Grant switched overnight. He went from being a guy that the foreman, the logging foreman could depend on to get his job done and do it safely to a guy who was up in his foreman's face screaming at him. Oh, no talking about how terrible this all was, and quit. Quit that day. 
he... Or at least he didn't yell every day. Didn't yell every day, just had the one, decided to quit. He said that he is going to start his own business. It's going to be one with integrity. He took his family and moved them to a different town, a much smaller one. He started writing letters to politicians... These are very strongly worded letters, poetic, Mm -hmm. angry, all caps, many underlines. One of the many letters he wrote said, The forest industry is operating as environmental terrorists with severe symptoms of denial that there is anything wrong. When you talk about feeling like, wait, I think I'm on this guy's side, (laughs) that phrase absolutely makes me feel like, wait, I'm on this guy's side. (laughs) Absolutely, I feel like at the time, the logging industry, and maybe I feel like they are now. I I don't know what the logging industry is doing, but from what I can tell, most corporations are operating as though (laughs) they are... So tomorrow will never come. Yeah, able to be environmental terrorists, and there's denial that they're doing anything wrong. At first, I was like, that's evoking something that I don't like to hear, but I'm realizing we're talking about the 80s and the 90s. So terrorist at that time also had a different connotation. Different connotation, correct. Yeah. A wild time to be in the logging industry, a wild time to be dissenting against the logging industry in the Pacific Northwest. This, of course, is during the time of the Spotted Owl controversy over Mm -hmm. in Forks. People chaining themselves to bulldozers and to trees, and my goodness, Wild West of logging with Grant Hadwin on the horse at the whole front of the herd there. He's having a hard time. 1991, his wife files for divorce and custody of the kids. Mm -mm. It's 1993, Grant still can't find work. You know, he said that he was going to be a logger on his own, his own company with integrity, which is a beautiful dream, but he's not getting work. And it's not like he has a crew, so he can't go do big jobs. He's Mm -hmm. just, he's one man with a moral code. Knowing your own worth and setting the terms under which you're willing to work is not actually something that most industries love. No, it's not, is it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not. Um, uh, all I can think about is he did build a whole house. He built himself a whole house. Some houses. Yeah. Could have been doing that. But no, what he did do in 1993 was he kind of took himself on a grand tour, you know, like kids used to do <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> before they, you know, young men went off to college and the women got married. He, from British Columbia, he travels to the East Coast of North America. He goes to Florida and he goes to Washington, D.C. to hand out clean needles and condoms to anybody who wants it to try to help with the AIDS crisis. He does the same thing in British Columbia. His kids are a little like, "Uh, Dad, could you like not in our own backyard? This is really embarrassing to be the kids of the dad walking around with a hat that's got condoms all over it, trying (laughs) to educate people about diseases. He goes to Russia He gets stopped by Border Patrol in, like, Serbia, but apparently talks his way out of it. He People said that he was incredibly charming. And he's he's a very good-looking man, like, classically handsome. And he's so athletic. He's, like, ripped. It's easy to 
see how a man with his good looks and his charm and his fearlessness is Mm -hmm. in all of these very different situations and still thriving. Still well, he sounds very making self-sufficient, it. even all the way back. Incredibly, in, right? Like, you know, disappear into the woods and come back with a deer energy. He, I have a lot of respect for people like that, because that is not me. The Airbnb, I can't find the coffee. I'm done. Funny you should mention that, because in this 1993 Grand Tour, Grant ends up in Sitka, Alaska, and he finds a gentleman from whom he can rent a kayak and says to the man and pays the man for a week's rental and leaves. Mm -hmm. Week goes by and Grant doesn't appear with the kayak, and the second week goes by and Grant still doesn't appear with the kayak. So the kayak owner calls the Coast Guard. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's been two weeks, I think it's... Yeah, safe to say (laughs) we need to send a search party. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I don't know what the protocol is supposed to be. I don't know either. Funny, he waited an extra week, (laughs) right? Just like not a day, not two days. (laughs) It's Alaska, dude. They mind their business up there. You're like, oh, dude. Oh man, it's almost the weekend again. I should probably tell something before I I call it a day. Yeah, exactly. Four thirty on a Friday. Fine. Put it in his planner. Well, Coast Guard goes looking for Grant Hadwin, and what they find is this little island off the coast of British Columbia. At the foot of a volcano is a campsite that's been abandoned. Now, there's no sign of struggle. There's no sign of bear activity. It looks like Grant Hadwin was there and just walked off into the woods. How did they know it was his camp? Had his gear, some of his gear there. At the other end of the island, they find his kayak. And his kayak is... Well, his kayak. His kayak. <laughs> they, they find the kayak he rented and did not return on time, like some overdue library book that's been under your bed all summer. <laughs> they find it upside down, and stuffed inside is a manifesto. Uh-oh. Yep. It is titled manifesto. The Judgment. All caps. Uh-oh. <laughs> All caps. Oh, spaghettios. <laughs> it was 15 typewritten pages talking about how the CIA is watching him and also asking a lot of. I mean, probably, dude. You <laughs> went to Russia in the 90s. <laughs> right. You went to Serbia. <laughs> you were you're a, you're a single white man who is unemployed and divorced <laughs> in and out of psychiatric facilities and writing a lot of letters to elected officials. Yeah, I bet they were, dude. You're, you're not wrong. I bet they were. You're not wrong there, Grant. <laughs> he, he also, in this document... He was big on the Socratic method, right? He loved asking Mm -hmm. questions of people. And one of the things he wrote was, if you were God, how would you get people to understand that you are in peril with the way you are treating the earth? He answers his... Sorry, I couldn't tell if you were waiting for me to actually answer. I mean, I'm I'm curious (laughs) to your answer. I don't know what my powers are. I don't know that you have many, but Grant's ideal society... Uh, If I'm God... (laughs) 
You don't have God, but I don't have many powers? I have, well, come on. You made people who were fucking up the greatest gift you gave them, which was the Earth. Obviously, you're Maybe not I that powerful. Maybe I just won't pay attention before. Yo, yo, yo. You can, you can be omnipotent, but not omniscient, okay? Oh. Oh. <laughs> Girl, school and me. I was catching up on Great British Baking Show. Yeah, you were. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So that's Grant's question. Well, that's Grant's question, and since you don't know, I'll give you Grant's answer. Grant says Mm -hmm. the only way forward is if we remove men from positions of power within society. Now, did he mean men as in males? Males, males, because he says we instate a matriarchal society. And that everyone is reduced to pre-industrial technology. That's a lot, buddy. That's how he thinks we're going to win. 15 pages of that. So the Coast Guard decides that this was a suicide note. And they call his ex-wife to say, we're very sorry to inform you, but this is what we believe. Grant's ex-wife goes, (laughs) you don't know my ex-husband. Yeah. He's still out there. You guys better keep looking for him. I mean, I guess what the Coast Guard is probably thinking is that Grant's conclusion was die mysteriously and get my manifesto published. Yes. But Grant seems a little more on the ball than that. Like, you don't, that's not how you get stuff published. No, it's not. No. And so the Coast Guard goes, yeah, okay, well, we'll keep looking for him. Four days later, they get a call from a fisherman who says, hey, I see a campfire. I saw some smoke coming from this, like, remote part of an island that I didn't think anybody lived in. What's up with that? Coast Guard heads over there, and who do they find? But Grant Hadwin, fed, hydrated, warm, dry. It's fine. Fine. He had a pack of matches, his pocket knife, a little bit of ground coffee, and their official report says gave all appearances that he did not want to be found. Sometimes people don't. For better or for worse, they brought Grant back to civilization. Was he not allowed to be on that island or something? Don't know. Don't okay. I don't uh I don't think that is the Bird Sanctuary Island. No, the Bird Sanctuary Island comes into play later in this story. So I don't know if there's any reason for them to have removed him other than, hey, you're missing, you kind of stole this guy's kayak. Like, maybe we <laughs> yeah, should get true. you back it's to... Yeah, kind of like, Grant, we're taking the kayak back. Yeah, so right. You should probably come with Right, us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they brought poor Grant back, and he doesn't do well in civilization. Back in BC, he got into a road rage incident. That's what landed him in a psychiatric hospital for an evaluation. He was there for a month. He was not diagnosed with anything, but he was given an antipsychotic. It's still 1993, and then from 93 through 96, he continues to write his letters and look for work. Mm. In 96, no, sorry, during this time, he makes friends with a 70-year-old Gitsan woman named Cora. And this unlikely duo, this sweet little, you know, 70-year-old woman, and this, I think he's in his 30s, athletic, fit, white guy, are buddies. He and Cora and Cora's sister 
do road trips together. And on one of oh. these road trips, they go see the Golden Spruce. It's after his trip that he decides, okay, I can't take it anymore. I'm still not finding work here. I'm going to move to Whitehorse, which is far north. It's on the British Columbia-Alaska border. Mm-hmm. And he gets up there, becomes increasingly erratic, and says, Cora, I don't like this. I'm all alone. Can you come up and visit me? She's retired, yeah. so she's like, right on. Let's do it. Cora goes up and visits him, and she spends a couple of weeks with him. But on her last day, Grant's driving them along, and Cora, the way Cora tells the story anyway, is when they're about to cross this bridge, Grant just steers the wheel into one of the girders for the bridge. Just uh oh, not cool. Feels not cool, dude. dude, Feels like he intentionally gets them in a car accident. Grant is fine when she's trying to leave. Yes, as she's she's Hmm. it's her last day, right? Mm hmm. Cora breaks her hips. She gets all banged up. She told investigators later, not at that time, but later, that she always wondered if he wasn't trying to kill both of them so that he didn't have to be alone. Yeah, I just thought he was maybe trying to injure her so that she had to be recovering around where he was. Well, she does have to recover around where he was. She's in the hospital for a couple of weeks and he stays with her. But while Cora's still in the hospital, Grant leaves. He leaves Whitehorse and goes down to the island of Hedagwai. Grant is a tricky one because I feel like he really likes to be by himself because he chose to be. Mm-hmm. But he does not like to be by himself against his will. You know? Yeah. Like, he likes to go into the forest when he knows that he can come back and share the deer with somebody. Yeah. I don't think he actually thrives on being alone. I wonder how long he would have been on that island yeah i'm curious i'm curious too. i mean great you're a bright dude you must have assumed he would have noticed the kayak (laughs) yeah yeah i know you're not like a schooner having to register your course or whatever but you know you do exist and people notice when you disappear people notice when you disappear sure but we're up in rural alaska we're on the graveyard of the pacific can you effectively disappear if you want to can 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 you not if you take that guy's <laughs> i guess not <laughs> grant you should have rented it for two or three weeks giving yourself so, a like, longer head start yeah your life is to do with what you will but bring me my fucking kayak <laughs> yes right <laughs> buy your own kayak dude grant and his kayaks this is not the last kayak in the story here <laughs> When Grant gets to Haida Gawaii, he checks into a hotel, and he starts giving away all of his possessions. Some of these are Uh-oh. these are sentimental items that he's he's carried around with him, you know, since red flag, red flag, forever. Red flag. Major red flag. He makes friends with the hotel proprietor's daughter, and he makes friends everywhere. everywhere. I don't think Grant has <laughs> met a stranger again. Very charismatic, you know. Mm-hmm. Talks a lot. Good looking. He's really social. Very social. He's really social. He's not. He's not like me. Like, I don't like talking to people sometimes. But I feel like I don't make friends with the hotel owner's daughter. Nope. I don't make friends with a seven-year-old lady named Cora. Yep. Yep. 
Nope, Grant's, Grant's just collecting people, just making buddies. He talks to the hotel proprietor's daughter. One of the things that the hotel proprietor's daughter tells reporters, interviewers later, is that Grant told her he felt that terrorism was the most effective way to bring about change. That's one of those things that people say that to you, and you just... There's no good answer. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. no good response to mm-hmm. that. Uh, <laughs> I do get the sense with his job difficulties and everything, I'm gonna guess he got a little bit one note in terms of his conversational topics. I don't think he was like, hey, are you caught up on Seinfeld? Yeah, right. What's going right. on? Uh, I think- this this O.J. Simpson business, can you believe? Like, Grant Hadwin had an agenda for every conversation. Yeah. Yeah, he knew what he was talking to you about before you even knew who he was. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, Liz, it is January 20th, 1997, and Grant Hadwin took an axe and did something terrible. He took a saw, some oil, felling wedges, his clothes, some plastic bags, and that evening he walked to the edge of the Golden Spruce Trail. The Yakun River ends at it, and the island upon which the Golden Spruce grows is 60 feet away through the frigid, turbulent waters. That's, yeah, 60 feet doesn't sound like that much until... You think about <laughs> this, how turbulent. I know, right? How violent. Like, this is the Meat Grinder River, meat right? Like, this is the one river. that they used to be yes. like. Is this the Hecate Strait, or is that a different uh, thing? Hecate Strait is coming. The Yakun River yeah, okay, is so this is like part of it. Just next door from the yes. Hecate Strait. Yes. And is this is not a swimming pool. No. This is not a pleasant no. stream. No, it's this January is... in Canada, oh, yo. God. It's so awful. Oh, Think of a worse time to swim. Uh-uh. Can't come up with many. So he stuffs all his gear in these plastic bags inflates them with air so that they float more, swims his athletic little butt across the river over to where the golden spruce grows. So I have a question about that. Was there a bridge? (laughs) 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 Like, are you not supposed to be on that island at all? Or do you usually take a boat? How do people usually get over there? Why was he swimming? I actually don't know. I think for the most part, you viewed the golden spruce from the trail, you know, on on this side of the river. I I don't know that. I don't know if you boated over, kayaked over there. Yeah, I'm going to say probably people could take their personal boats over there. I know, like, my family from the Thousand Islands, and that's just, you know, everybody has a boat. You got a little boat, you go around and to to do boat things, to go to places you can get to with boats. Yeah, well, Grant didn't rent a kayak this time. He decided... (laughs) I'm the boat. Decided he needed to Iron Man it in January. Yeah. He gets over there, steps onto the bank, and he begins to cut down Kid Kios. It's got a seven-foot diameter trunk, and what Grant does is not just cut down the tree. He cuts wedges and windows in it 
so that when it falls, it's going to fall against its natural lean. Instead of back into the other trees, how it would want to fall naturally the way it's growing, he's cut it so that gravity is going to make it fall down toward the river where you couldn't help but see that this tree has fallen. And not only that, he leaves the heartwood. He he leaves the core of this tree. So it's got this umbilical cord keeping the tree alive until this is my design. The next big win. Yes. Win. Like yes. what kind of Hannibal Lecter serial yes. killer bullshit are you doing to this tree, Grant? He is, is making a statement. Cause he does this, he swims back, and the next day. He sends out faxes, because it's, you know, 1997. Sends out faxes. He sends letters to Greenpeace, the Vancouver Sun, the Prince Rupert Daily News. He faxes Cora. He faxes... Cora has a fax? Cora, I guess, has a fax or her, you know... She's in, like, an assisted living. I know, right? She's in the hospital now, still recovering from the broken hips that he gave her. And he faxes the... He faxes the Hayden Nation to confess. In this fax, he says his enemy is the lumber corporation Macmillan Blodel. And Macmillan Blodel is the company that had logged most of Hayda Gawai. They were going to log where the golden spruce was, but there was a huge public outcry. I mean, people loved this tree, and it, it wasn't just that it was spiritually significant to the Haida people. I mean, obviously, they they loved it on a level of profundity that I can't... It's family. It's family. Thank you. And then just in general, anybody who lived in the area knew this tree and loved it. Mm-hmm. So... When Macmillan Blodell wants to cut it down, there's a public outcry, and they are convinced to keep the golden spruce and a very small area of trees around it. So it's not just one, you know, like stick poking up out mm-hmm. of this little island. Uh, it's it's a little preserved natural area. This letter starts with, regarding the felling of your pet plant. I That's so disrespectful. Yes. (laughs) I did not enjoy butchering this magnificent old plant, but I needed to send a message and a wake-up call that even a university-trained professional should be able to understand. He was really anti-education, in case you don't get it. Oh, okay. He says, if one tree is worth protecting, all trees are worth protecting. In that regard, Kid Kiosk isn't special. It could be any tree. I'm trying to call out this hypocrisy. If you're mad about this, be mad about them all. All trees are worth protecting. I meant no disrespect to the native people or the unnatural environment of Hedegwai. And then he closes oh, his well, letter. Oh, intention is magical. <laughs> so intention you're is off magical. the hook there, Grant. Yep. yep. And the next day, the 300-year-old tree, the golden spruce, Kid Kios, falls into the river. Can you guess what people's reaction was? <laughs> Probably like mine, but a thousand times <laughs> oh my worse. God. They, the outcry was deafening. People were calling for blood, dude. Yeah. They were, yeah. I mean, the, the white people were mad. The Haida people were in deep mourning. 
The Haida put out a press release saying that they would take possession of the remains. They would hold a ceremony for it. They would take care of their elder. People were not to remove pieces of the tree as souvenirs. Mounties arrested Grant on charges of criminal mischief and illegal cutting of timber on Crown land. Was he trying to escape or did he just kind of wait for them? No, he was not trying to escape. No, it was easy. Okay. They gave him a date to appear in Massett County Court in a few months. While he was awaiting trial. Sorry, I mean, like, I know we've talked about this. Yeah. And I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but guys, this is Grant Flight Risk Hazard. <laughs> like, <laughs> and you were like, well, just chill for a couple months as the yeah. weather gets nice. You definitely won't get hella murdered or just leave because you can't. Or just peace out. You guys can't keep track of him when he didn't do anything wrong. Right? It took some random fisherman being like, really? Are yeah. there sp- I thought it was burn band season. What's going on over on that side of the island? Yeah. Yeah, you lucked out. Yep. Yep. He's, uh... And even though they went to the island and they didn't find him for they a while, They didn't find right? him for a while. Yeah, they had yep. to circle back. Yep. <sighs> yeah. You, uh, again, an island. <laughs> not the entire, like, Hecate Strait. Not the entire country. This dude is a world traveler. He can go anywhere. You couldn't find him on one island. Is where in the world is Carmen San Diego, but with Grant. The man got himself in and out of scrapes in Siberia in the 90s. (laughs) Good lord. Grant had to leave town, yo, while he was awaiting trial. I should say so. Death threats and hotels wouldn't rent to him, and his buddy Cora was trying to advocate for him, trying to be a peacekeeper, but her friends were shunning her, being like, how can you support this guy who killed a tree sacred to us or sacred to our other indigenous friends? Yeah, seriously. (laughs) She's like, I let the white boy... Mm -hmm half an inch yep and this yep this is it (laughs) i thought we were buds thought we were cool grant (sighs) no he harsh survived broke her hip and harsh survived broke her hip and harsh survived terror that's a country song isn't it just i expect lyrics by next (laughs) week please (laughs) he had a court date on february 18th and he said if he was to use the ferry systems or public transportation to get to court at Massett. He was going to be murdered. So Grant said what he was going to do was pilot his 15-foot kayak from Prince... When did he get a kayak? (laughs) You know, picked it up (laughs) from Prince Rupert. Oh, not his kayak. Sorry, I forget. He rents this one as well. He's going to kayak. kayaks to this guy? It's this couple that has a store. I'll tell you about him in a minute. Okay. He's going to kayak from Prince Rupert down through Hecate Strait, through the graveyard of the Pacific, to get to court. In his kayak. His 15-foot kayak. kayak in his kayak, in his plastic or metal kayak. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. Through the Hecate Strait, yep. which eats, like, ocean steamer yeah. that, boats. That one. It eats ocean liners alive. Yeah. It eats whole-ass boats. Yeah. 
And he's like, no, me and my McDonald's coffee cup <laughs> are on our way because this is safer. I have to do this because I'll get murdered if I take a ferry. <laughs> yeah, this is my safer option. My safer option. I mean, I don't think he was wrong to be concerned about his totally safety. Not. But Grant really is striking me as the person who shows up with the problem and his solution and does not let anybody else participate totally. in the solution finding totally. process. Totally. No, this was like this is how you come up with plans like this. This is how you come up with plans like cutting down the tree. Yeah. I'm still hung up on the part where I'm trying to put myself in his shoes. And here's how I know he was making impaired judgments is even if you do believe that terrorism is the most effective method of getting your information out there or whatever he was saying, why would you just tell some random person this that you just met? <laughs> Isn't that like rule one? Is is you don't like tell everybody? Mm. This, uh, he just, he didn't have a filter. when it No filter, right? Right? He's desperate yeah. guy at the bar just telling you his like, rambling life story because any attention is better than none. He just has this urgency about this stuff, which I understand because he's, again, like, he's not wrong about the scope of the problem. He's just that wrong about how to address it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't imagine that the court made much of an effort to be like, no, we'll give you a bodyguard on the ferry. But I don't think it would have mattered what they did. I think... I don't think he was on board with that, no pun intended. I don't. I don't think that's... Uh, he he liked Grant liked Grant's solution. Yes, is what I'm getting. From yes, story. Grant was going to do what Grant was going to do. Grant mm-hmm. was the smartest guy in the room, as far as Grant was concerned. Yeah. Okay. So he's in his kayak. He's in his 15 foot kayak, right? And he sets out from shore from Prince Rupert Island, and the Mounties hear of this, and so they motor on out, and they're like in the harbor saying. And the horses? Bro. Well, the horses are in boats. <laughs> are they, they're, they're on jet skis that are painted to look like horses. <laughs> Thank you for You're that. You're welcome. They catch him in the harbor and they're like, bro, don't do it. Don't go. The sea is awful. What are you doing? Turn back now. And he's like, no, it's cool. I'm going to do this. And they're like, there's a storm coming. Like... Don't. And he goes, nah, totally, I'm fine. And he's not breaking any laws, so the Mounties let him go, yeah. right? Um, again, they mind their business. Up mind their business. Point. It's not against the law to do something really stupid no. and dangerous. No, apparently not. Storm happens. Grant pilots himself into the storm. The next morning... The husband and wife who own the little, you know, bait shop or whatever where Grant rented the kayak from is sopping wet on their doorstep. And they're like, yo. And he's like, no, it's cool. I'm just I'm going to get warmer clothes and a slightly longer kayak. So he rents he buys these clothes and he rents a slightly longer kayak. And sets out again. But those people's whole vibe is mysterious. Oh, my God, dude. 
Like, who is still renting to Grant at Who's... this point? Who is still taking his money? Okay. <laughs> They're just charging All him, right. charging him for the kayak, being like, you know what, if you bring it back, it, it didn't yeah. didn't Blockbuster used to do that? You rented a movie for $5, but you got a $2 <laughs> credit if you brought it back within 24 hours or something. I'm just thinking back to remember how Hastings had like the damaged VHS that it had on the door and it was like threatening you like he charged you $80 if you broke their VHS. Special VHS copy of like Air Force One yes! or whatever. Yes. As though it was worth that much money. I lived in fear of that. I lived in fear of accidentally. It's like the same part of my brain that's scared of hotel mini bars. Uh-huh. I thought that maybe someday I would just completely like uh-huh. Dolly esque yeah. do that to a VHS tape yeah. without knowing. Yeah. And and then I'd man, Hastings was gonna get my You're gonna get your ass. Eighty dollars. Like I'll just I'll just you have the same one for sale in this bin of, yeah. of movies <laughs> for fifteen ninety-nine. I'll just buy that one and hand it back to you. It's cool. Yeah. Hastings was the first place I ever rented porn from. Really? Yep. Yep. Oh, that's so cute. It was a I didn't even realize they had it there. Uh, it was probably just R-rated, but I felt mm. I felt naughty. Felt <laughs> felt like I was doing something a little special. I was too worried about looking it up online because I didn't want to get viruses. So, oh. <laughs> uh, so surprising that that is the wholesome interlude in this whole story. <laughs> so Grant starts. A kayaking on February 13th. And the morning of February 18th is his court date. That morning, court is packed. There are no seats. There is no standing room. There is no room in the hallways. Folks have spilled over onto the lawn. The Massac County Courthouse is awash with people waiting to see what happens when Grant comes to court. 9.30 a.m., he's called to appear. No one stands up. The judge calls for him again at 10 a.m., and again, no one appears. So at this time, Grant Hadwin is officially a fugitive from the law, and a warrant is placed for his arrest. Months go by. Oh, boy. Months go by, and there are no... <laughs> Several months go by, and the couple that rented him to kayak go, should we call <laughs> should somebody? We call somebody? They're charging him... <laughs> How do you think Grant's doing? The $80 for the VHS at this point. <laughs> they figure it's sun damage. <laughs> uh, They'll bill him for it. What, at what point do you think they looked at each other and yeah. said... We're not getting We're not that getting kayak that. back. Right. And why was it while he was still in the <laughs> No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, it is worth the cost of this kayak to stop dealing with this very yes. intense man. They got one kayak back. They got the little one back and rented him, I assume, a much more expensive kayak because it was bigger. I mean, maybe, or maybe he just showed up and said, I'm going to get some warmer clothes and a longer kayak. And they were like, okay. (laughs) Just like, you know what? Whatever you want, bud. (laughs) Whatever you want, Mr. Terrorism is the most effective way to get what you want. (laughs) Take whatever kayak you want, please. (laughs) (laughs) You want some cash from my wallet? Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> What's your blood type? I'll give you. Yeah. I'll give you from my own veins. Oh God! Months go by. Months, and there are no official sightings of Grant. Some people, they say they see him. They're pretty sure they see him. He's in BC. Oh man, a white dude in a kayak. <laughs> yeah, that can't be anybody. Else. <laughs> Couldn't be anybody else. Not in right? Vancouver. God, who else is kayaking <laughs> in Hecate Strait, though? You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you make them. Yeah, point. right. I'm just okay if they if they're actually catching him on the boat. That's one thing. I'm starting to assume there were sightings of like I saw Grant at the McDonald's. Yeah, precisely. I saw a logger yeah. in a flannel with a beard. Yeah, but he, you know he was he was spotted all over Alaska, Canada, Washington, California, and they were all real. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bunch of people in Grant costumes. It was like flash mob, but it was before the internet, so it didn't catch on. Bigfoot energy. Bigfoot energy. (laughs) Later that year, so it's late 1997, and Scott Walker, a marine biologist, stumbles upon a wrecked kayak on Mary's Island, up on the Canadian Alaska border. What he found was Grant Hadwin's kayak and some of his gear. Again, his kayak. <laughs> his kayak. <laughs> it's his kayak now. Okay, and some of his he gear. He found Grant Hadwin's gear. We assume he didn't rent this. And the kayak Grant had rented or perhaps <laughs> shanghaied from this poor couple. Yeah. yeah. On a log, they found Grant's hatchet. And police determine... They think it is most likely that Grant drowned at sea. The sea washed his kayak and gear up on shore. This biologist just happened to be at the right place at the right time to see the kayak and the gear washed ashore before strong surf basically pulverized it and wiped away any trace of it. As far as they're concerned, like case closed, that must be what happened. There are very many theories that are not that. Liz, he's he's still missing. Wow. No one has found conclusive evidence of Grant Hadwin since 1997. The biologist who found his gear said, there's no way. That hatchet was placed so deliberately on that log that couldn't have been the sea. It was 30 feet above the tide line. The kayak was there where someone would find it. The gear was strewn a little too artfully. This, to me, looks like... I go off, Miss Marple. Okay. <laughs> right? to, the, to this man, it looked like it was staged. So, the question becomes, was it staged? If it was staged, was it staged because Grant Hadwin disappeared himself like he did a couple years before, just yeeted himself off into the woods to live all MacGyver style. Or another theory is that he was murdered for his cutting down the tree, and the people responsible for his murder put all of his shit up on this beach to make it look like he'd been shipwrecked so that no one would go looking for the body. All right, let me talk through the logic of the 
kayak and the gear being on the beach. Because I feel like all the theories are working backward from that. So before you find the kayak and the gear on the beach, what you know is that Grant went into the storm in this little teeny tiny boat and was never seen again. It's not the storm this day because the storm was the day before. That's what made him turn back and go get a bigger kayak. That's right. Okay. But you do know that even without the storm, Grant was on this very risky (laughs) sea expedition. He was in a sea kayak in the fucking graveyard of the Pacific. Yeah. And I don't really know that if I'm a murderer or if I'm Grant trying to fake my death, that the kayak needs to show up mm-hmm. anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Because this is absolutely a situation where if they had never found all that stuff, we would have been like, yeah, I mean, probably yeah. he got at yeah. by the graveyard <laughs> of the Pacific. <laughs> and all the kayak showing up does you had some great distinction one time. I think it's like, it's more data, but it's not more information. Yeah. It's all we know is ocean currents are wild Mm -hmm. and he's not in the boat right now. Yeah. That's what we've got to go with based on this. I want to respect the marine biologist instinct while also calling into question a, how good that instinct for detecting a staged drowning detritus scene (laughs) is. Like, how many of these have you seen? (laughs) What do they normally look like? And, assuming this person is good at detecting that, why isn't Grant good at staging? Right. (laughs) Like, why would he carefully set his little hatchet down on the log like, and there you go? And it's, now this will look like I died. It's like an Easter egg hunt for your really young children. Yeah. Gotta make one of them obvious. <laughs> he's gotta feel like he's finding something. Why would Grant put his gear out like that? If anything, it feels like... It's confusing that it's a mix of strewn about stuff and also stuff that apparently is carefully placed. I feel like, hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, life is not a story in this way. Sometimes it doesn't all come together to tell you something that you didn't know before. And in this case, I think literally the only piece of information you have is Grant is now not with this equipment. Yes, Correct. <laughs> we don't have any more information about what he is doing. Correct. Yeah. Those are your data or points. What did yeah. happen. I would say that would be a very high effort murder mm-hmm. to chase him down in his little kayak. And then I don't know what you do. I don't know how you murder somebody in a kayak while you're not even in the kayak. Like, this is very complicated. You hit him with so rocks I guess you go after, from a slingshot. Yeah, you go after him on your on your other slightly larger boats and then something. You can do that without making obvious damage to the kayak. You're that confident in your forensic scene maintenance during this <laughs> high seas homicide. Mm. 
that you're like, I didn't leave a single fingerprint on that kayak, so let's go put it on the beach <laughs> way the hell over here. Because I know a marine biologist is coming later and he'll notice <laughs> This it. random bird sanctuary island that this marine yeah. biologist is scheduled to show up at. Because the thing with the boat and the gear is that whether Grant was trying to disappear or somebody was trying to disappear Grant, there's no sense in taking the stuff out of the water. Yeah, Just exactly. Just leave it in the meat yeah. grinder. Yeah. If you're trying to disappear. So I feel like the ocean put that there because there is no reason to put it there. So it was probably something with no reason that did it. That's my logic. I was just going to say, like, it is illogical Mm -hmm. to me any other way. I like that none of this assumes that Grant was actually trying to get I, Well, and that's another thing. Yeah. (laughs) Does intent matter? Was, (laughs) Was Grant trying to get to court? And got it by the sea? Was he trying to get to court and got it by a murderer? Was he trying to skip court and got it by the sea? Was he trying to skip court and got it by a murderer? Was he trying to skip court and managed to make landfall and staged his death at sea by strewing about his, not his kayak. Liz will get mad at me if I say that again. (laughs) The kayak. There's... Five different obvious scenarios, and I don't. I, there's probably other things that he could have been uh, considering that I don't. I just sounded like Jeff Goldblum there. Uh, yeah, you really <laughs> did. <laughs> well, uh, there you have it. <laughs> oh, I'm frustrated by this because. That's a weird way to fake your death. And obviously, Grant was a weird guy and making decisions that don't make a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, here's how I think you know it wasn't Grant who put the kayak there is there was no manifesto in it. There was no manifesto. No receipt. Grant always <laughs> left <laughs> a note. Grant, Grant never missed an opportunity yeah. to tell you about the yeah. stuff that was on his yeah. mind. And... To not do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, he left a manifesto in the kayak when he was not even, like, on his way to yeah. a high-profile court case. I yep. think he would have left a note. Yep. And, you know, I guess maybe he did and it disappeared. But, I yep. know, the, come on, we're just, like, piling conditionals and on top of supposition. Yes. Like, yes. anybody trying to convince me that something happened besides the ocean, would have to show me some kind of affirmative evidence. I think a lot about our energy because I never felt like I did a good answer to that question of, like, what duo do you, do, like, do, do we remind me of or oh, something? Yeah. And I did end up watching some BuzzFeed Unsolved, and now I definitely get why people make that comparison. Yeah. But one thing that frustrates me about about that show is that sometimes Ryan will act like just because something hasn't been proved impossible means that it's a plausible explanation. Mm. And no, we we really at a certain point your mind is so open that everything is in yeah. there. You have to be able to say Anything is theoretically possible, but given the evidence that we have, there are a few very strong theories, or at least a few reasonable Mm -hmm. theories, and everything else is not 
Mm-hmm. If you said, hey, you know, there are these guys who were overheard discussing planning to kill him or having killed sure. him or they had suspicious activity around some new cement that was being poured <laughs> or just like anything to the murder thing besides people were real mad and he didn't feel safe. Yeah. Then I would yeah. be more inclined to entertain it. But yeah. that also just feels like why would you bother if you saw him kayaking off into the ocean, I'd be like, I think I'm more likely to get into trouble going after right? him than I am to actually enact this revenge right? plan. I think I'm just going to let the ocean do oh, its yeah. revenge for me. That's what it's Absolutely. for. I would be like, I guess this one's on you, God. Thanks for doing me a solid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it feel like dragging his kayak to an island and staging it to look as though he died is just murder with extra steps yeah unnecessary extra steps and i guess you could say well they took it over there to conceal the crime scene but again the crime scene is either the The ocean or some remote ass island piece like there's not a crime scene here to to dissect i don't think grant would have put the kayak on an island that he was intending to stay on if anything, he yeah. would swim into the island yeah. and let the kayak go. Yeah. Because everybody's going to notice a bright kayak chilling on yeah. the beach. Whereas if he just, if he were on that island, there'd be no way for that marine biologist to yeah. know. Because it's grand. Yeah. So that person could just come and go if there weren't a kayak and crap strewn all yeah. over the place. Yeah, exactly. You'd have no reason. Yeah, he has no reason to do it and he has reasons to not yes. do it. So yes. what are we doing? Yes. Well, All right, you said you had a happy ending to this. No, story. it sounds like we conclusively solved that. <laughs> <laughs> we know that Grant is not with the kayak at this time. The end. <laughs> 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 well, wrapped up another one, Wood. Good job, us. <laughs> this is the thing I do, though, which is I, because I notice that thing that people do where they hand you stuff and act like it's more proof and more evidence and then you step back and go wait no when i actually look at this setting aside the theorizing literally you just know grant's not (laughs) yeah what are the facts is that information that we needed to narrow down what happened (laughs) i don't think it is I just don't think Grant's not with any kayak because he grabs them and he uses them and then he abandons them. (laughs) Don't let this man borrow your kayak. He's his little picture (laughs) is up in stores. Like (laughs) that's the real lesson of this. (laughs) Oh God. Well, we I, I gotta stop laughing before I say a tragic thing. Sorry. I don't know. I'm so mad at him about Ugh. the tree thing. I feel like Ugh. we went right into the court case we did. and the arrest and everything. We did. But I'm just so furious about that. Oh, the tree's that. disgusting, isn't it? I'm so unhappy yeah. about it that I can't yeah. even dwell yeah. on it. Really. I understand his point, but he did it in such a sophomoric art project way. You know, the mm-hmm. this is like you don't you don't go down to SeaWorld and kill Shamu to make the point that, well, you guys cared that I killed 
this cetacean, but you don't care that Japan is killing 10,000 dolphins every year in a great hunt. What makes this one any different? You know, that's, that's not how you win people over to your side. Yeah, from a policy perspective, there's a couple missteps totally. there on Grant's right? part. I mean, he's really nailing it with the high public salience. Totally. But you only get legislation when you combine that with a generally agreed upon action. <laughs> so if you just have a problem that nobody can agree on how to fix, you don't actually get forward movement mm. with policy, which is why we get nowhere on gun violence, yeah. for instance. Uh, and people are like, how can we all have so many opinions about this? Because we all have very different opinions yes. about it. Yes. <sighs> I feel like Grant lacked humility. Very much so. And I understand why he felt very strongly. And I think he was correct to feel very strongly about this issue. But the only proposal he had to fix it was so outside the realm of possibility that as a rational person, he should have been able to say, no, we're not going to set up a matriarchy in Canada yeah. and take all men out of positions of power yeah. and go back to pre-industrial technology yeah. according to what, like, if you thought that would work, you were not making good decisions and you were not coming at this from a logical perspective and if you didn't think that would work on some level, then I'm all the more offended that you felt entitled to do something drastic mm -hmm. to draw attention to mm -hmm. it. Again, this is Grant showing up with the problem and the solution that he came up with sitting on his little butt in the forest somewhere. Yeah. And that is exasperating and not how we do this. <laughs> I'm sorry, Grant. Other people live in the world. Other people live in the world and have tree opinions. Yeah. They, and I'm yeah. sorry, but you have to listen yeah. to them. <laughs> I feel like Grant needed to go to college so that he had the freshman experience of, like, everybody sitting around drum circle and people being like, well, actually, communism is really sound in theory. It's just that you need a <laughs> utopian, idealized society with which to enact it. You know, he needed to get that ideological stage thought through a little more. Grant needed to be exposed to that guy. You know that guy? That guy. Because he needed to realize when he had gone over the edge into being, like, the worst kind of that yeah. guy. Who yeah. has all the answers and is going to just monologue at you. Oh, my God. About their pet interest. Uh -huh. he's, he's all over the place. And I know this is redundant to say but you know he's like i don't mean any disrespect and then he calls it your pet yeah, plant yeah i yeah i <laughs> and like he said you <laughs> doesn't really matter what you mean or didn't mean you you cut down a mm -hmm. sacred tree dude yeah and he also much like that guy in college and that guy wherever you encounter them i don't see any activism before the drastic right, right. i see a lot of letter writing yeah which is important. You should contact your elected officials, but not with very long, all caps, underlined screeds yeah. and manifestos. Yeah. Just generally, once it's a manifesto, I think you're you're in trouble. <laughs> I, I but, you know, so. Grant did not show up. There was no phase that you told me about where he was, like, going to Greenpeace meetings no. or trying to get on nonprofit boards or running for office or... No. 
talking to the Hada about what they thought that company he was mad at should do. No. He just cooked it all up in his head and it all boiled over yes. into a big mess. Into a big old mess. Oh. Because in some ways he was so isolated even when he was talking to people because he was so fixated on this Yes. He, he has the experience and he has the passion for it. So it's not like he's going to come up against somebody who's like, no, actually I can offer you something even better in terms of how you're thinking about this singular obsession mm -hmm. of yours. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he was not wrong to think that he had a special insight on yeah. it. He was just wrong to think that his was the only insight that was necessary. Correct. Correct. Mm. That's a really good way of summarizing it. There is a little bit of good news that I will share before we leave for this evening, which is Yay. scientists were able to take some cuttings from Kid Kios. And that's fortunate. With permission, I hope. I don't know. I also hope it is with permission from the Hada people. I do know spruces are trees that you can graft, and 30 or more of the grafted spruces were given to the Hada people to nurture. So scientists have tried keeping some of the grafts alive in greenhouses, and they aren't doing very well. But there are two currently living in a botanical garden in British Columbia. And they're, they're short, they're small. Apparently, spruces are a tree where branches have a memory. So a bottom branch is never going to be able to be grafted in such a way that it is a leader branch. It's always going to ultimately want to curve out and then become parallel to the ground. Hmm. So when they're grafting these branches to other spruces, you're getting these, these kind of stumpy little dwarf plants. Oh. But they are growing and they are the same golden color. They're just never going to be big, beautiful tall trees. What about the seeds that they make? Great question. Just because the golden spruce has a genetic abnormality does not mean that its seeds will necessarily have the same abnormality. Mm. Okay. I am happy that these exist and I'm interested to see what they come up with. Mm -hmm. I feel like replacing Kid Kios is impossible. Agreed. And I, yeah, it's a bittersweet thing of it's good that they are doing this. It does nothing to solve the loss of Kid Kios or solve the problems that troubled Grant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think it is good that they're doing that, but I hope the legacy of Kid Kios and Grant Hadwin, because they're tied together forever yes. now. I hope that goes beyond these these little trees. Yes. I feel bad that it worked, Grant, but mm -hmm. <laughs> do you have me thinking about mm -hmm. logging and environmental impact differently mm -hmm. given this? But I think mostly I'm mourning that tree. Yeah, absolutely. 
Thank you for bearing with us while we took some time to make sure that we got the second part of this episode out to you. No patrons, no sponsors, just getting you the conclusion to the story of The Golden Spruce. I highly recommend the book by John Valent if you're interested in this story. I think he does a really nice job of talking about all the separate pieces and bringing it together. You know where to find us, and we're so glad that you found us this time. In the meantime, darlings, we hope that you live weird, die weird, and stay weird. Thank you for listening. We did it! We did it!